Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, we have H.B. Charles Jr. He is the pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. He is known to many of us as a, uh, a peerless expositor, an excellent preacher, and a faithful man of God. H.B., thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Owen. It's a joy to be with you. You have a word-driven ministry, I would say. In other words, you're known for standing upon the Word of God. You're known for expository preaching. You've written multiple books on it. Uh, you speak all around the country and across uh, the globe, really, on this topic. Uh, why, why is your ministry so resolutely focused on the Word of God? I am committed to Bible-governed, Bible-shaped, Bible-led ministry for several reasons. Hmm. First, my calling, my charge as a pastor is to preach the Word. The first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4 are built on the last two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Mm-hmm. The nature, authority, and sufficiency of Scripture is why we preach the Word. Preaching is, well, in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, he doesn't tell him just that he must preach. He tells him what he must preach. Mm-hmm. He must preach the Word, and he must preach the Word because of what the Word is. And I feel like any, any preaching, and thus it, the any ministry of the church, that is not rooted in faithful biblical teaching exposes a betrayal of our—it betrays our lack of confidence mm-hmm. in the Word of God. Secondly, I started as a boy pastor. I had no authority, experience skill, and in my installation message, Dr. E.V. Hill, the late pastor of the Mount Zion Church in Los Angeles, preached a message entitled, What Can That Boy Tell Me?, (laughs) where he emphasized the sufficiency of Scripture. Hmm. And kicking off my pastorate as a high school senior, I am struck by the fact that truth is truth if I experience it or not. Uh, it is God's Word. Um, thirdly, at this stage, I have seen the power of God's Word. And God doesn't promise to bless our ideas or any other agendas. He blesses His Word. Isaiah 40 and 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Amen. The authority of God's Word is our authority for ministry. And I just really believe everything that happens in the church should be an extension of the ministry of the Word. Amen to that. I love I love what you have said there. Your father, who you just mentioned, was a very prominent Los Angeles area uh, preacher uh, in the Baptist tradition, the African American Church, and um, he himself, interestingly, uh, has some connection to uh, the civil rights movement, and he has a particular stance on it mm-hmm. in his day. Mm-hmm. Can you just line that out for us? What that looked like for him to be a, a, a biblical preacher in that day and age? Sure. My father, we, uh, in our tradition, we were a part of the National Baptist Convention, predominantly African-American Baptist churches. And my father was a part, as a young preacher, 
of this circle of men really kind of rallying around the work of Martin King. Mm. This caused a division in the National Baptist Convention. The established leaders felt like the convention should be focused on evangelism, missions, Christian education, not civil rights. And when that battle came to a head, those young men basically left and started a new work that they called the Progressive uh, National Baptist Convention. My father went with those men, hmm. and he helped establish that convention in both the L.A. area and the larger California area, and he was totally committed to civil rights. There was There's a sense in which um, my father, to call him an activist, is true. Hmm. My father... Um, was committed to helping the community. He was very concerned about the needs of his people in that city. He never drug any of that stuff to the pulpit. Hmm. He never drug any of it to the pulpit. Week after week, he preached the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he did not try to read in cultural issues Mm -hmm. and make the church an extension of his civil rights work. He viewed those things, I think, as a part of his pastoral assignment, serving the needs of those entrusted to his care, but his ministry was rooted in the Word, Mm. and that is just the model that I grew up in. And I would just say any of those pastors, um, that was just the, the pattern. I just remember uh, the mayor, Tom Bradley, coming to the minister's conference regularly and consulting with the pastors. I grew up in a city where there was a black mayor in Los Angeles, hmm. and he would come week in and week out to the minister's conference and get the men's advice, and they were very much so engaged. But my father understood the work of the church to be disciple-making, mm-hmm. and he did not stretch that to to make the local church a civil rights organization. Mm-hmm. And I never felt the two intention. They seemed to flow seamlessly in his life and work. And I would say in a lot of ways that that has shaped my understanding of what it means to be a faithful minister. Amen. It certainly seems when we look at Scripture, a text like Ephesians 2, 11 to 19, which I've actually heard you preach on. Yeah. We we have both uh, preached for Richard Caldwell, spoken at his Truth and Love conference, mm-hmm. and I heard you powerfully exposit that passage there. It seems like when the Word is preached, when the gospel is proclaimed, there is naturally going to be racial reconciliation that takes place. It's gospel-driven racial reconciliation. It's, it's what Christ does. He draws Jew and Gentile to his own family. He makes one new man uh, through his blood, and then he, he, he brings in uh, both Jew and Gentile, into the church. Um, so there's an organic component to this with the preaching of the Word. Is that accurate? Yeah, think? I'm not saying that my father dodged issues, yeah. and that's not what I am commending. Right. I am, I am, I learned from that to be careful about handing, handcuffing the gospel to some other secondary agenda. Mm-hmm. And the gospel addresses all of life, including our relationships. And I, I, you're absolutely right. There is a misunderstanding of the gospel. If we truly understand, so, so we would claim, 
that God in Christ has reconciled the world to himself, and we have been reconciled to a holy God, and then totally disregard yes. the effect that if God, mm-hmm. who is holy and we are not, has condescended to be reconciled to us in Christ, tied to that is our relationship, the sign to the watching world. Mm of the reconciling power of the gospel is that it makes those who would have nothing to do with each other become brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. That is essential to preach. But what you are doing there is fleshing that out through a gospel lens, not a political one mm-hmm. or a social one or a cultural one. And I think that's the distinction that's important to make. I think there's a very important distinction. It's, it's not hard today in such a divided time in such a politically frenzied time, on all sides here. We're not saying one side or the other. Sure, right. On all sides. Everything feels political today. Um, Games are political. The national anthem's political. Everything's political. It's a beautiful thing when the church is structured around the Word, and you can go into that local assembly each week, and you can breathe the fresh air, the fresh oxygen of the Word of God with people with whom you might have nothing else in common but Christ. Yes. And and that's what I see in your ministry, I think. Yeah. So, if I may, I mm-hmm. I just recently read The Compelling Community by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they articulated it a lot better than I could about the nature of the local church. In essence, though, the heart of the book is that there ought to be relationships in our churches— that cannot be explained outside of the gospel. That's right. That it's not just the the young people enjoy hanging with each other, where our connection, because of our stage of life, might be the more compelling bond than Christ. Mm-hmm. The church ought to be a place where you look around and see young and old, single and married, rich and poor, black and white together. Mm-hmm. And the only way to make sense of these relationships is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is when the gospel becomes, the church becomes this countercultural community, a sign, a herald, a foretaste of the present, but not yet kingdom of God in this world. Mm-hmm. And that should shape us as pastors, our shape our understanding of what our work to be is to be and how we do it. Mm-hmm. And that identity, that body, I think we can note. Uh, of course, there are prophetic elements in our preaching. Sure. Uh, th- if you just let the Word of God speak on most any issue, if you if you believe in consecutive exposition as you and I both do, preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible, you're going to find any number of issues coming up on a weekly basis that a pastor can can touch on. But that's not the focal point of a pastor. In other words, he's not. A Bible, a true Bible preaching pastor, it does not have a, a list of things he's trying to get the congregation uh, to see prophetically. He is trying to preach the Word of God. And what that Word-based preaching does, I think we can say, is it creates a community that is by definition, by its nature, prophetic because of what you just said, because it is so unique and strange, and there's nothing in common there but Jesus. I hear in the in the name of prophetic preaching, mm-hmm. I hear guys talking about the importance of speaking truth to power and using Jesus as their example. I'll agree with all of it. 
except as I am, I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark, and as I study Mark and study the gospels, as Jesus is speaking truth to power, his primary target is hypocritical religionists. Mm. And he was more concerned about the corruption of those who claim to be God's people. Mm-hmm. And I think we misunderstand what our assignment is. He didn't he didn't go clean Herod's temple, he cleaned the temple. Mm-hmm. Herod's palace, that is, he cleans the temple. Mm-hmm. And I think in prophetic preaching, I think the best thing we can do for the world is to let the church be the church and let the world be the world. Mm-hmm. And that this, I don't think we can make a difference as salt and light unless there is that distinction. And that distinction requires gospel preaching that is itself prophetic. Mm-hmm. It proclaims a new world order mm-hmm. based upon the finished work of Christ. Amen. I hope that makes sense what I'm saying. Oh, it makes elegant sense. It's, uh, it's biblically reflective, I think. And in your own church there in Jacksonville, Florida, you have seen the strangeness, frankly, that we're talking about here manifest. In other words, uh, from what I know from afar of your ministry, I certainly follow your ministry closely, but I'm not there in Florida myself, mm-hmm. but it, it sure looks like you have a very diverse uh, group of folks who are members of your church and then who are following your preaching. In mm-hmm. other words, you have folks in the African-American uh, community and in the, in the black church uh, following your preaching and uh, and very much uh, lapping it up. And then you also have folks, I don't know, more in the kind of uh, Reformed world, mm-hmm. uh, John MacArthur kind of world, and, and mm-hmm. beyond mm-hmm. following your preaching. That's a rare thing mm-hmm. in our polarized day. What have you seen take place at Shiloh uh, in terms of this ingathering as the Word has been preached? Yes. I have much to thank God for as I see the progress um, God has blessed us to make in our labors in Jacksonville. Um, I have to admit, as I look at our work, I, I am burdened and troubled. We have just a long way to go. We have not arrived, as no church uh, can rightly claim mm-hmm. that they have. But as some of the listeners may know, we we merged. Our, our predominantly black church a few years ago merged with a predominantly white church. And there were so many points of disagreement Hmm. about ministry programs, musical styles, Hmm. leadership structures, church traditions, special events. But I think the unifying factor has just been the preaching of God's Word and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And to the degree we have made progress and have grown together as a body— I would say additionally this year God has blessed us to extend that work to a Spanish-speaking community, and Mm. I'm just grateful for what God is doing there. We have a brother, uh, Aldo Mesa, who is our Spanish-speaking pastor, or as he calls himself, the Latin HB. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And to see the bond we share around the Word of God and the the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I would just say our unity and our witness and our strength is to the degree that we, if I may, keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Whenever it shifts to something else, 
then that it, that that fellowship is corrupted. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's the truth in any setting, and not just racially, but cross generationally. I I just I have a lot of colleagues. I feel like these days are just uh, very proud to say that my church is all millennials, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful that you're reaching sure. millennials. Yes, I'm not sure that's something to brag about. Mm-hmm. I think healthy discipleship means that young people need to learn to love mm-hmm. and live with and serve with seniors who they might not have a lot in common with except the gospel mm-hmm. and vice versa. And all of those demographics that I don't think it is wrong for us to minister to in the local church, but that should not be the defining identity factor for us. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you in full. And it's really meaningful to hear on this podcast, HB, I know you talk about this in other contexts, of course, but to hear both your personal background, yeah. uh, that that civil rights is not far off from your family, but in fact, your father's in some ways an important figure in mm-hmm. that sense in LA, in LA and beyond, and then that in your own church, you have skin in this game. I mean, you, you have seen the gospel and the word uh, unite. So yeah. this is a beautiful thing. We just want to be on record here as saying this. There's lots of things to sort out in the public square and lots of issues to handle that are very complex and, and deep, and there's real pain out there. The American past is a very checkered one, and yet the gospel does unite, and, and people are hungry for the Word, and, and that's what I see in your ministry. And I reflect. think in ways that, you know, I think God uses all kinds of means to sanctify us. I think the church I'm in, you know, preaching helps to make the church faithful, but I think God uses the church to help make the preacher faithful. Mm -hmm. And things happen in the community. I see things on the news. And I feel a way about it. And I have thoughts about it. And in a reactionary impulse, there are things I want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, footnotes <laughs> that I want to say to get my thought out there. But God has called me to a place where I am shepherding those from different races. Yes. And I, I am constantly reminded as I prepare and think through those things that I, as a shepherd, have no right. I dishonor the gospel in a way where I put anything uh, forward that prejudices the hearing of the gospel. Mm. Wow. I, I don't want to say anything. That's on social media, in conferences, and most importantly, in my own pulpit. Mm-hmm. That prejudices against the hearing of the gospel because I have another agenda. Mm-hmm. That frankly, is not as important as the gospel. Connected to that is those brothers and sisters of different races in my church that I know I'm going to have to stand up and preach to are, in fact, my brothers and sisters. Yes. We've prayed together. We've suffered together. We've served together. We've worshiped together. We've walked alongside one another. And it is a sanctifying thing for me to think through things and and not just view it as those people out there. Yeah. But these are, I got to think through what this means 
to people that look like me who are my family and people who don't look like me mm-hmm. and from a different background but are my family Yes, because of our bond in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it just forces you to play fair <laughs> right? in some of these issues where we are, where I am tempted. And I, I feel like though there is a principle there that ought to shape how we as ministers think through our work in whatever setting God has called us to be in. Social media makes it a very interesting day and age because uh, you really can broadcast your thoughts on a minute-by-minute basis. Yep. You got a hot take, you, you, can, you can publish it. Um, yep. You have a significant following, others do as well. It's an age that challenges a lot of us, and a lot of us are seeing the Lord sanctify us, by, by which I mean <laughs> calling out our sin yep. and our propensity to be quick to speak rather than slow to speak and, yep. and, and quick to listen. So the Spirit's doing work in, in us in a James 1 sense. Um, HB, I'm very thankful for your, for your ministry. I, I really see that prioritization um, from afar, as I said, of that one new man. You know, Jesus has made, literally has made a new humanity by his blood. We're, there's there's effectively a new human race yes. constituted in the second Adam. Yes, absolutely. And we cannot lose sight of that today, even though on every side we're tempted to. Absolutely. And on every side, I also would agree with you, we are blessed by technology. Mm. But, and it is a good tool. Mm-hmm. I agree. But we must guard so that we don't become handcuffed by it in a way that leads us away from the gospel. And I just try to remember that everything Scripture says about my stewardship of speech applies to what I tweet. Amen. Um, And that's a, a convicting thing to think about. It is. Well, HB, I'm so thankful for you being on the podcast today. Thankful for your ministry. God bless you, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of the podcast, and I thank you for your friendship as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today.